0: You are listening to the Experience University Podcast, Season 8, Episode 1. Welcome back, everybody. We have such an exciting episode for you today. I am here with Sarah Griffin. Sarah and I actually met uh, last December when I was speaking at IAEE's Expo Expo. I was giving a talk on innovative sponsorship models and Sarah was in my session it's been great to connect with you Sarah afterwards and all our conversations and thank you so much for being on the podcast and on the video which is new this season welcome thank you uh, for having me absolutely so the first question that i always like to ask for everybody is how did you get into the event industry we hear it all like i fell into it i've done this i've done this i'm really journalism i'm really marketing i'm really whatever How did you get into the event industry? Well, I usually
1: say that I was born into it um, because when I was growing up, my mom was a fundraiser. And so I was constantly drugged to all of these events and I had to help with volleyball tournaments and bike rides and any sort of evening events where people were donating lots and lots of money. And so, but I had no idea that that's where I was going to end up. It was just... That was what I got to do during the day. And then I went through, you know, that floaty time after you graduate. And I ended up at GES, which is a US based general services contractor. And I started at the bottom. I started with customer service. I was brought in to answer all the questions and do all of the things that needed to be done. But that was the fun part is when I first started. I had a union guy come to me and go, you know, if you make it a year, you'll be in this industry for life. And he wasn't wrong.
0: (laughs) That is awesome. Yeah. And even connecting with you after and looking at all the absolutely incredible things that you've done and all the different things you've touched and visual merchandising and, you know, the whole gambit and that all feeds into it. So many people don't truly appreciate or recognize until they're in this industry that events really are everything. It's the food, it's the legal, it's everything. I know your degrees in psychology. And that's one thing that I have been talking to a ton of people about is if you're going into events, maybe double major in business or maybe definitely get like a minor in psychology or look at psychology and communications, marketing, all the things, right? But psychology for sure. And so many people are confused when I say it, like, I don't want to be a therapist. And here you are, you're living, breathing degree in psychology. Tell us how often you use it and in what ways you use it.
1: Yeah. Every day to be perfectly honest. So I actually, when I, I decided to major in psychology, cause I like people, I like to see what people do. And I like to study what people do. And it's funny because I really don't like sociology, which is supposed to be like the sister. And I I just don't like it because people act differently in groups than they do alone. (laughs) But I knew I didn't want to be a a therapist. Like I didn't want to listen to people's stories all day. Like that seems a lot of emotional that I didn't want to deal with. But it helped me kind of understand how people were going to react. So they say, you're going to get more flies with honey like, well, that's kind of true. Because if you have a smile on your face and you're pleasant to be around, you can kind of de escalate an issue. And to be fair, there's a lot of issues when it comes to events. You're always going to have something happen. And so being able to know how people are going to react and understand that kind of human side of business has been extremely valuable.
0: Absolutely. I mean, we are a people-based business, whether you're online or in person or whatever, you're dealing with people and understanding how they think and they work and they operate. So critical. I'm always a little confused when people are like, why psychology? I'm like, we're all people. (laughs) It makes sense. So since GES to now, you've gone through several different positions, but all kind of in the same strain. You're welcome to share about any of them that you want to share about, but what's been like your pinnacle? Like what's the one that you're like? Oh my gosh, I love this. And why do you love it?
1: Well, it kind of, I've, I've always loved my job, to be honest. And everything in events is always a little bit different. I get bored easily. So I'm always constantly doing something new. <laughs> and events make it a lot easier to do that. I will say my current position is my favorite. It is kind of that, oh, this is where I was supposed to be. Like, I've always had those, time, those days, and I'm like, oh, this has been a really bad day. I don't have very many of those. And I run my own show. I'm the decision maker, and that is kind of. I think that's what I've meant. I meant to do. <laughs> to be honest, I got really lucky that during the pandemic, I actually taught people how to do trade shows. I was part of the learning and performance team, and it was great. It was kind of good to get away from the everyday of doing things. And I was actually really busy, unlike a lot of people who then came to train with me, <laughs> which was great. But I, I brought the CEM program into Informa in-house, which was amazing. That has continued on. I'm still a CEM instructor outside of Informa right now. Um, but honestly, my current role is is just perfect for me to be able to make the decisions and get things done and then see where we end up.
0: Absolutely. And for those who are listening, that maybe International CEM is the Certified Exhibition Manager. So it's a certification that you can get through IAEE. Very kind of heavy in trade shows, but not just trade shows. There's a lot of really fascinating modules through trade shows. And so I didn't know you were an instructor in the course. How fun is that? (laughs) Which modules do you teach?
1: How much any of the production ones. So floor plan, development, operations. I I, Those are the ones that I I like teaching. I have a lot of stories.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So the natural question that comes to me right now is all about the decision making, right? So events and experience design and management consistently ranks in the top three or top five of the most stressful careers in the world, often up there with like air traffic controllers and especially during COVID, like the home health aid people as you're dealing with life and death situations and this deadly virus. And here's events. And people don't think about it that way, that it's so stressful with so much on your feet, like thinking and problem solving and all of these things. So making decisions and being that ultimate decision maker seems really stressful. And here you are with a degree in psychology. So talk us through why you love that. And as a follow-up on that, There's a lot of people I think that listen that are like aspiring to be that person. They like, I'm going to do it in air quotes, but if you're not watching the video, like they may feel like they're a peon or the bottom of the totem pole or they're, they're very, maybe in a more junior position, and they want to be the decision-making, they're striving to be the decision-maker, and they're looking up to you or listening up to you, I guess, if they're on the podcast here. Talk to us about the pros and cons of that position, what you love, what's super stressful, and what advice you give to people who want to be in the position you're in. That's a hefty question. Events, <laughs> You have to get things done. That
1: is step one. But I always want to know why I'm doing something. So I'm not afraid to try something new. I had a boss a while ago that used to tell me to fail fast. And that is exactly what I like to do. If I'm going to fail, it needs to be quickly. And I learned a long time ago that the way we've always done it, it usually needs to be challenged. <laughs> it's not necessarily the right way to be doing things. And so as a decision maker, it's my responsibility to like question those things. And that just kind of fits naturally into my personality. I get that feedback from managers in the past of you question everything. Like well, I do? And that's really kind of how I got to where I am. Because if you question things, you have the opportunity to make them better. You can't, you're not just doing what you're told. Why, why am I doing it this way? Like, is there a better way to do something? That's really why I think I have gotten to where I am because I do question and I do kind of push boundaries and I, I make things as best as can be. And sometimes the way you've done it is right. But most of the time, there's something new. I mean, t- events world's changed a lot, especially with COVID. We've gone to remote working, which that was great. <laughs> I loved that part. <laughs> Not having to commute in is great. But it also takes away some of that in-person kind of brainstorming pieces and some some of those things, which we can do virtually, but you have to be willing to do it. And you have to understand that things are a little bit different. And is it the way that you've always done it? Or is it the
0: best way to do it? Such great insights. Absolutely. Just (laughs) and for everyone that's listening or watching this podcast, you Sarah is so good. She reached out ahead of time yesterday and this morning was like, well, where's my list of questions? And I was like, it's a natural conversation. You know, as planners, we want to know all the things. So these questions that I'm asking her off the cuff and she's killing it, crushing it. It's super awesome. So, Sarah, you mentioned like after COVID, right? So you've been in the industry for a long time. In fact, you may be one of the few guests that was literally born into it. <laughs> like you had no choice. <laughs> Your mom was dragging you to work. And she she worked in our industry. So Post COVID, during COVID, right? So we're all ta- we're all trying to forget the during COVID years, which can you believe? Twenty twenty was four years ago. What is happening right now, right? <laughs> but post COVID, what are you seeing that are fundamental shifts in our industry versus you know the trends, the things that we thought were going to be shifts, but they're not.
1: It's really interesting to me because I think people are still gun shy from COVID. A lot of people lost a lot of money. When the world shut down, we had contracts that were written, not great, where they were in in favor of a supplier. And so an organizer lost money because they had to pay out and they canceled their event. So that's been a pretty fundamental shift. I see a lot more contracting, a lot more kind of legal ease that I see on website and registration sites and things like that. People are also waiting they're waiting to register. They're waiting to book their hotel rooms. They're waiting to make sure that everything's going to be there. And and again, I think it's just because people are so like, I don't know, is it going to happen? Are we going to have a relapse? Are we going to have something else happen? Whereas before, like we would book six months in advance and and things like that. So it's kind of shortened our, (laughs) our planning time a little bit because we don't necessarily know how many people are going to show up at the event until about, five, four weeks beforehand. And so it becomes this interesting, well, we used to have these trends and now we have these different trends. And so planning has been very different, but I've also noticed that people want that interaction. They want to be in person with people. We're kind of over the online thing. <laughs> like, it's fine because we have to do it on a daily basis, but When I'm going to go have my meetings, I want to go have a drink. I want to go have a welcome reception. Like That's where events are really going to continue to excel. Every recession. I started in the 2008 recession. So (laughs) that was fun. Before 2008, we got to spend a lot of money. We don't get to do that anymore. (laughs) Whole different world now. But we really are an industry that gets to excel through it
0: all. Exactly. Oh my gosh. And so there's so many facts and figures from IAEE's Expo Expo and also from PCMA's Community mm-hmm. Leader. Just in terms of everything you're saying, I mean, taking into account every size of meeting from small to large, like your average lead time has gone from, I think, 81 days to 63 days. The buyer time from an attendee perspective, super short. I think I heard that events Connect, you know, like multiple thousands of people had a thousand people register the day of the event. (laughs) How do you plan for that? That's absolutely insane. So I heard that in uh, someone's talk at PCMA, like absolutely insane. How do you plan for that? Right. And super interesting. One of the other things that I heard at one of the events was that you're going to see a lot more blurred lines between your traditional meeting and your traditional trade show, right? Trade show would be, B2B, you're coming just for sales and and the meeting is like, we're here for education. And so some mm-hmm. events like IMAX America, they have like a smart Monday, which is like one day of education and then your trade show. So I'm thinking of some other prominent shows. It's like, okay, well, you have education before and after and scattered education on the show floor, just scattered, right? We're going to see a lot more cohesiveness of blending because meetings need a lot better exhibit floors. Oh my gosh. And trade shows need some more education, some better education. So do you see that playing out in your area? And maybe if you can think of, and you don't have to name drop, but if you could think of some really cool like trade show experiences or education or like a tangible takeaway that someone could say, maybe that would work in my show, right?
1: Yeah. It's funny that you bring that up because at CPHI North America, which is my show, we just moved our content onto the show floor. We've historically been in a meeting room and everything was all kind of pushed away and tucked away. Um, And we're bringing it front and center. We're making it so that everybody has access to it. We've never charged additional for content. I know a lot of events do, but we really wanted to make sure that we had that kind of everything in one place feel. So it's really funny that that's, that tends to be the trend at this point. It's more expensive, <laughs> to be perfectly honest, to have that show floor. We are doing a silent stage as well. So everybody has to have their headphones. And But that way, it's not interrupting the business that's also happening. So we have to find that balance between education and show floor selling and buying. And it is definitely a fine line. and You have to walk there some of the networking events, we um, we opened it up to everybody. We doubled our the number of networking events that we have after the show floor because people like that. They have their business time and then they have more of a social time. And people really respond well to that piece.
0: That's oh, so good. That's <laughs> so good. I know a lot of the listeners online maybe follow me on LinkedIn or maybe they don't and they should. But... A lot of people now are starting to share more about their experiences now that they're out and about post-COVID. Like, I'm at this show and I'm doing this and I'm doing this. And I know 40,000 plus people follow Julius Laris, right? And they're getting their updated content from him and facts and figures and travels everywhere. And I love him. He's such a pleasure. I've taken a little bit of a different perspective on my LinkedIn this year where I'm constructively criticizing... Elements of events that I'm going to for the benefit of all. So Adam Grant has like a quadrant and I am like the bottom left quadrant of like only 10% of people who are constructively criticizing because they genuinely want everything to be good. I'm not criticizing because I'm bashing because I'm better than you because I'm comparing. I'm only criticizing because like we can all learn like let's not make that mistake. I was at an event recently and I was talking about the networking. So it's great to hear you talking about like doubling the networking. And I had this big thing on like intentional design. You can't just put up a bar and have a smaller group and expect people to network. So if you're not following me on LinkedIn, definitely recommend checking that out or giving a follow to add that content. And everything you're saying, Sarah, is just it's like we rehearsed it and we didn't. Like we're talking like back and forth, which is really great. So as we're wrapping up this episode, what is like a key takeaway that anyone listening, whether they're seasoned or a student going into the industry, you know, what's a key takeaway that you're going to you're going to challenge everyone to do? I think I would say question. Question everything. Don't get stuck in the
1: status quo and really see if there's places that you in whatever role you're in, whether it be answering the phone and dealing with people who are yelling at you, or if you're at the top of the totem pole, but question why you're doing things. Question the why, question the how, and see if you can't follow Kristen and find some great new ideas. Go experience other events and see if there's anything you can do to make things better.
0: Yes. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. And I know when we were talking, you know, in a previous conversation, I asked you, I was like, where are you going for your information? Because I'm such an information junkie. And I'm like, I want to know and I want to go. And, you know, it's not even like FOMO. It's just I am so like insanely curious about everything. And you had a really good, great perspective on that. Like, where are you finding your information?
1: Honestly, I go to other events. I've always liked trade shows. Even at a young age, we to go to the home show in Indianapolis. They actually build a house in the middle of the fairgrounds. And I always just thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> like, cause wait, you're building a house inside of a building, like that's nifty. But I go to other events. I go to boat shows. I'm going to a motorcycle show this next weekend. I go to other Informa events because well I could get paid. And, and I look around and I see what they're doing and I see what works from an attendee's perspective. And then I bring that back to my own show. And I go, oh, that experience wasn't great. Or this was really cool. I really enjoyed the way that this experience made me feel, for me, that's that's the best place to learn.
0: Absolutely. So true. Beginner's mindset, attendee perspective, like always going back, living the experience of our attendees. Beautiful. So Sarah, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? I am on LinkedIn
1: as well. Feel free to join Sarah Griffin um, and CEM. If you search on LinkedIn for that, I would be happy to to accept your request.
0: Absolutely. And I'll link it in the show notes below this episode and in the video. I'm still getting used to the whole video thing, right? The video transcript blah, and then I'm like, oh, am I moving around too much? I don't know. So Sarah, <laughs> thank you so much for being on our audio podcast. Our video podcast is such a pleasure catching up with you. I know our attendees and listeners and podcasts, all the people that are interacting with us are going to just get so many unique and interesting perspectives. So thank you for being on the podcast today.
1: Perfect. Thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely.